Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AMR Action Podcast. I'm Danny Peters, Senior Advisor to the Canadian Antimicrobial Innovation Coalition. On today's podcast, we want to shed light on the common infections that we commonly see in, in communities across Canada and around the world, and how AMR is making these infections more difficult to treat. And to that end, I am very pleased to have our guest here today, Dr. Curtis Nickel, Professor Emeritus, Department of Urology from Queen's University and Kingston Health Sciences Centre. Dr. Nichols' clinical expertise and research covers inflammatory, infectious, pain, and other benign diseases of the urinary tract. And so today's discussion, we are going to focus on urinary tract infections. So Dr. Nickel, thank you very much for being here today. It's great to be here. Thank you, Danny. So Dr. Nickel, can you tell us about your background and your area of research? Yes, uh, my background really is in microbiology and urologic surgery. And I was able to mesh the two into my basic and clinical research career, which is really focused on the interaction of bacteria, inflammation, and urologic disease. And on the issue of um, on the issue of public health and UTIs, why do recurring UTIs present a public health issue, especially as we're talking about here about the rising rates of AMR? How did we get to this point where it's, it's such a significant public health issue? Well, recurrent urinary tract infections have become a real public health issue because of the frequency that they occur and the primary recommended treatment. So about 11% of women every year uh, have a urinary tract infection. 3% of women or about a quarter of those have recurrent infections, which is at least three per year, but usually typically is four or five or six per year. And the recommended treatment for recurrent urinary tract infections is prophylactic antibiotics. In other words, a low dose antibiotic in women for up to six months and a full dose antibiotic in men for up to one to three months. That uh, creates a scenario where we see the emergence of resistant organisms in these individual patients and in these populations. And so you, so you just mentioned patients. So then the impact, we're thinking about patients, but also more broadly of providers and health systems. How, how is this a pressing issue? Why does, why does it need our attention? Is, is it a women's health issue? And, and, and is it a men's health issue? You know, put it in that context. Why does it deserve our attention? Well, recurrent urinary tract infections, and we have the most information in women, create significant direct and indirect costs to society and to patients. Uh, for the patient, it is the significant impact of the um, uh, adverse reactions and side effects, short and long-term of antibiotics, but it is also the significant impact on uh, mental and physical quality of life, including activities and work. And then that relates into the cost to society. And with the emergence of resistant organisms, our best and really only effective treatment up to the last several years was antimicrobial therapy. And with resistance, that became very frustrating for both physicians and patients. So we've talked on this podcast before about this perfect storm, right? Where we have 
rising rates of antimicrobial resistance, and then we have a decline in, in new antimicrobial therapies that are available. So, you, and so you're, you're, you're talking about this as well, that we, um, you know, we've, we've, we're overly using these antimicrobial therapies and we don't have the new ones to back it up. So this requires like, some sort, to think of some sort of intervention. We're, we're, at this, we're at this point now that if something uh, isn't done, we're, we're just going to be in a scenario where we're having uh, UTIs that are resistant to antimicrobials and we have, don't, don't have treatments uh, for them. So, so you know, if it's expected to get worse, um, why? Um, I want to get your perspective on that from your, from your vantage point. So that's a great question. Why do I believe that this is gonna get worse? It's because of the frustration of both physicians and patients in the treatment of these recurrent urinary tract infections that can become chronic. To the point, there are many physicians and patient advocates who are recommending long-term full-dose antibiotics for up to a year in this particular patient population. Well, my opinion, that is not only the wrong way to go, it is the dangerous way to go because it's gonna cause all sorts of problems for patients and for uh, the emergence of more resistant organisms. So it's just it's gonna compound the problem for both patients, physicians, uh, to be able to manage these in the very near future. So that's why I think this is becoming a bigger problem and we're gonna to have to do something that maybe is not an antimicrobial approach to this particular patient population. And that's a great segue and into my next question then. So, so what other approaches um, what, would, you, would you think are worthy of consideration? Um, I know that you focus on alternatives, but could you shed some more light on some of the work you've been doing in that area? Right. So for the last decade, in, we have probably one of the largest recurrent urinary tract infection clinic in Canada. See, you know, hundreds of, of just locally referred women. So the problem is, is very large. In our UTI clinic, we have focused on prevention of recurrent urinary tract infections and management of urinary tract infections without antimicrobials. Because many of these type of infections, the recurrent infections are self-limited. Uh, and in fact, they used to be treated uh, uh, conservatively before we had antibiotics, mm -hmm. um, you know, available. So the way we try and prevent it is, is a multi-tiered and we use many approaches, but it's the use of increased water intake, an evidence-based approach to reduce urinary tract infection. We use uh, cranberry extract, making sure that we have ones that are going to work. Uh, we use uh, D-mannose and probiotics. And for women who are in the postmenopausal period of their life, intravaginal estrogens have been proven to be very effective. So that's been the approach we've used. Now, over the last two and a half years, we've had the opportunity in Kingston to use a, a novel uh, sublingual vaccine to prevent urinary tract infections. And that has really been a game changer for patients in the Kingston area, at least at this time. It's, it's very important to note that, the, that these different tools of preventions are breathe life also to the existing antibiotics that we use, right? We need to focus on different kinds of prevention strategies um, and, and alternatives so that we have um, a variety of different solutions and, and give that longevity to the antibiotics that when we do need them, we have them. So that's, it's very important and, and just applaud the work that you're doing um, in Kingston. So when we talk about the silos and on this podcast, we talk about the silos that exist in AMR that really prevent us from moving forward toward, towards change. 
So can you think from, from your vantage point that you're, you're working in the clinical setting, you're also working in academia, um, working in, in healthcare systems. So from, from your vantage point in the, the different silos, how can, how can the silos work together um, to drive change? It's going to be uh, increase in knowledge and education. Uh, education for physicians who are really struggling with antibiotic stewardship in face of you know, the, 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 these type of recurrent urinary tract infections and patients who also have to practice a personal antibiotic stewardship, knowing that many of these type of simple uncomplicated urinary tract infections will in fact resolve over time without antimicrobials. We have to be aware of the side effects, particularly the long-term side effects of antibiotics. And for complicated urinary tract infection in which patients can develop urosepsis and death, we have to continue to see if we can uh, improve our pipeline of new antibiotics that are specifically uh, focused for complicated uh, urinary tract infections. And so, and so to that point, then also ending on that too, because uh, we are we are focused on innovation. We want to highlight biomedical innovation as a way to um, as a key pillar in addressing the the threat caused by AMR. And and so we like to end our discussions on on a word of hope. And so as as from your vantage point and the work that you're doing, um, have you worked on a particular initiative or worked with someone in particular that demonstrates what's possible? That if we put our efforts together. Um, that we, we can all collectively um, address the threat of AMR in Canada and also around the world? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's one that I've been focused on for over 20 years is um, how are we going to prevent these infections so we don't need antibiotics to treat them. And the approach I always felt was going to be the most successful was the use of vaccines. We've had multiple vaccines over the years. Many of them ended in failure. Some of them are reasonably successful. But over the past five or six years, the one that I've been most excited about is a sublingual vaccine called MV140, taken under the tongue for um, three months. We were able to obtain Health Canada approval for an early Canadian experience study to gain some knowledge and experience of whether this would work in Canada. So we now have, I had now 57 female patients who have been treated with this vaccine, starting with uh, UTI rate of six or more per year. 50% of them have come, become completely UTI free. Well, almost all the others, 85% have had a significant reduction in UTIs, like an 80% reduction. And when they do get a UTI, it's not as severe and they may not even need antibiotics for it to resolve. So this is going to be a game changer, something that at every, every clinical researcher that I know would like to have at the end of their career, something that is going to make a huge impact in the field they've been working in. For me, this particular vaccine is, I believe, is going to be that impact in female health. But you know, we're already working with the same vaccine in men, in children, in patients with neurogenic bladders and complicated UTIs. And our initial studies show that the vaccine may be have a huge impact in reducing UTIs and the need for antibiotics in those more complicated populations. So it's going to be an exciting time over the next several years as we take this through the, uh, the regulatory process so that it will be available for our Canadian patients. 
That's great. We always like to showcase uh, innovation and what's possible. So we, we thank you so much for your for your work and dedicate and your dedication to this issue. We know it's an issue that doesn't get as much attention as it should. Um, but knowing that um, how pervasive UTIs are and recurring UTIs are and how um, currently there, there is a reliance antibiotics uh, to, to treat it that we need to really think um, think forward and, and how we um, focus on prevention um, and, and other strategies to ensure that we have um, better patient care. Um, so thank you very much for your work in this area and for your time with us today. And um, we will include uh, references uh, to Dr. Nichols' um, publications in the show notes if you wanted um, more information about his work. And thank you very much for joining us today for the podcast. See you later. Well, thank you, Danny, and thank you for allowing me to present some of uh, my story. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye now.